Welcome this morning as you join with us at Calvary Chapel, Valdosta. Pastor Deshaun Van Clee will resume delivering the word from the book of Hebrews. Let us focus in to what the Lord has to show us. Good morning. We are in Hebrews chapter 12, finishing up the chapter, verses 18 down to verse 29. And then that means that there's only one more chapter left talking about better things in the book of Hebrews. One more chapter. In fact, we have now reached a part of the book where we're getting into the practical things of Christianity, the practical things of doctrine. We had, we had discovered and, and, and read through and studied the superiority of Christ, the superiority of the Savior, superiority, superiority. All right, anyway, the superiority of the... He's superior. Let's just say that. And we went through that in chapters 1 through 10. And then right at the end of chapter 10, we transition into the priority of the saint. And we have been discovering some awesome things as we looked at the life of faith in chapter 11 and so many that went before us, how to live by faith, how to walk by faith, all those things. And then chapter uh, in chapter 12 is just really all about running and finishing the race as we talked about last week and so this week we're going to pick up with something a theme that has already that we have already gone through that we started out with and you're going to see this here in Hebrews chapter 12 but before we do that let's give honor to the word of God and I'd like us to stand together as we read these verses beginning with verse 18 of Hebrews 12 down to verse 29. Hebrews 12:18 it says for you are not come to the mount that might be touched and that burned with fire nor to blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them any more for they could not endure that which was commanded and if so much as a beast touched the mountain it should be stoned or thrust through with a dart and so terrible was the sight that Moses said I exceedingly fear and quake but you are come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God to the heavenly Jerusalem and to an innumerable company of angels to the general assembly and church of the firstborn which are written in heaven and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. See that you do not refuse him that speaks. For they did not escape who refused him that spoke on earth. Much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him that speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I, I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifies the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, we, we receive in a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Father, thank you for your faithfulness and giving us this written record, Lord, that we could study, that we could pay close attention to where we may find all that we need to live a godly life. And so uh, this morning we pray that you'd help us, Lord, just for... Uh, these few minutes that we have here to be attentive, uh, to be ready, to have expectation for what you say to us, what your spirit would communicate to us. And I just pray, Lord, that you would make up, Lord, whatever is lacking in us in, in faith, Lord, whatever is lacking in us spiritually, that you would make it up today, that we will understand that, that thing, whatever it is today. And Lord, help us to not just be hearers of the word, but doers 
of this word, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please have a seat. In John chapter 10, the Lord Jesus Christ introduced a concept that was not new to the hearers as he was speaking. In fact, it would be very familiar. It might be a little strange to us because this is not how we necessarily live today. But this is what he says in John 10, 1 through 5. He says, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say to you, he that does not enter by the door into the sheepfold, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that enters in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he puts forth his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. And a stranger they will not follow, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. The Lord gave them a parable, and the Lord is trying to show them who he is, that he is the true shepherd, the good shepherd, and that those people who are his sheep, they will truly hear his voice. They will know his voice, this concept of sheep hearing the shepherd's voice. Back then, in the first century, this was understandable. There were many shepherds. They knew this concept very well. We don't know this too well today because we're not an agrarian society and many of us don't have sheep and things like this. Some people have chickens and that's, that's, that's a different concept being here in the South. I've never even heard of that. Um, but people have chickens and they have animals and stuff. But we, we normally don't understand that, that whole idea. But this is a true idea. In fact, this is a, an idea that God actually ingrained in his creation. If you think about a sheep, most people like to say that sheep are dumb. That's normally the, the general consensus. They say sheep are just foolish because if one sheep desires to run over a cliff, all the other sheep will run and follow him right over the cliff. And that might be true, but, but they're doing something that has been programmed in them. It's not because they are dumb. Even though we would say, like, that's just dumb. You're going to run off the cliff, not even think about it. But what they're doing is they're protecting themselves. See, sheep are very smart creatures. Sheep are known to be very discerning creatures. In fact, if you put up a shepherd with a stranger and you have the stranger call out to the sheep, they will not listen to the stranger. They don't recognize the stranger's voice. They won't even come. They'll just ignore the stranger. It's not until they hear the voice of the shepherd that they all begin to come because they know that the shepherd has something for them, that the shepherd would lead them to good pasture. So the sheep are very discerning. They know the shepherd's voice because the shepherd's going to do that. And, and also the sheep, they like to hang in flocks for protection. See, if they straggle alone by themselves, they're, they're prime prey for a predator. So they couple up. They hover up with a bunch of other sheep. This is how they protect themselves. They have a natural uh, sense of flight built into their whole DNA. They run at the, at the instance of any sort of a danger, or even a stranger. They'll run. They, they will not come near. They will run. That's a very smart creature, if you ask me. Very very discerning. Now, you know, the Bible tells us that we are like sheep. In the book of Isaiah, he tells us that we, like sheep, have all gone astray, gone after our own way. The Lord is the one that came and grabbed us up. It tells us in Psalm 23 that the good shepherd would lead us to pasture, like sheep. God wants us to, to be discerning like sheep. I like how he says there, when we just read that verse in John 10, that my sheep know my voice. Now you got to think about this. The sheep are trained to hear and recognize the voice of the shepherd. But what about the baby sheep? The little 
the, the little lambs, the ones that come up, what about them? How are they able to recognize the voice of the shepherd? Well, initially, they don't. They, they don't recognize the voice of the shepherd. But what they do is they couple themselves with those that do. And so if, this, if the flock knows the voice of the shepherd, then the newborn is going to go with the flock to the voice of the shepherd until that newborn is trained to recognize and discern the voice of the shepherd. And then it's like clockwork. All he has to do is call them and they come. In fact, I encourage you, go on YouTube. There's many videos of people demonstrating this very uh, precept out. They'll have some strangers try to call to it, and they just ignore them. They won't even do anything. Then you have the shepherd come, and they all come, just like little children. They just, just run up because they know that the shepherd is going to lead them to good pasture. He's going to have good food for them. They trust him. Gang, as we reach Hebrews chapter 12, we have to think about this very same concept. We have to be like the sheep, knowing the voice of the shepherd. We have to be like sheep that are, that are very discerning. And we're not listening to any voice, only the voice of the shepherd. This is exactly what we're going to be talking about this morning, is discerning his voice. In fact, that's the title of our message is discerning his voice is being able to know his voice the lord jesus says my sheep know my voice just like i told you the little lambs they spend time they are familiar with his voice and so there are three voices that we find here in hebrews chapter 12 verse 18 to 29 the first voice is the voice of sinai the voice of mount sinai in verse 18 to 21. That's the particular voice. And it's a voice that God has not called us to, even as it says there in verse 18. We have to, we have to concentrate on that and dive into it. Then you have the voice of Zion. This is the voice of the new man, the voice of a new way. The voice of the Lord calling us to himself. And then we have verse 25 through 29, which is the voice of the Son. Not S-U-N, but S-O-N. The voice of the Son. Being able to recognize and know the voice of God's Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We have to discern His voice. If we're going to be, if we're going to be discerning Christians, if we're going to be wise Christians, if we're going to be solid believers, then we must recognize His voice. We must recognize it. Now, God is able to speak in all kinds of ways. God can speak audibly. God can speak through other people. He can speak through our hearts, putting something in our minds. But God chooses to speak primarily by his word. See, Psalm 138 tells us that God honors his word above his name. God's word is very important because it's active. It's alive, as we read in Hebrews 4.12. God's word goes out and accomplishes what he sets it forth to do. In Isaiah 55, it tells us that. God's word is important. In fact, there was a whole chapter written to God's word in the book of Psalm, Psalm 119, that is all about the word of God. All the many facets and features of God's word. That's what we need to concentrate on. This is how we hear his voice. But there are other voices sometimes that we get ourselves caught up in so let's look here at hebrews chapter 12 verse 18 it says for you are not come to the mount or the mountain that might be that might be touched that you can touch and that burn with fire nor to blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words what he what he's explaining here to us is what we find in the book of exodus chapter 19 let me help you with the setting of where this text comes from. Now, a good Bible student will always pay attention to four things when you're looking at a passage in the text, in the scripture. You always got to look at the setting. You need to look at the wording. You have to look at the meaning. And finally, the living. What do you do with it? Those four things. And so I want to look at the setting of this text. The setting right here is 
coming right off of the heels of the Israelites going through the Red Sea. God parted the sea, and they walked over on dry land. The Egyptians tried to follow them, and then the water came back and drowned them. They saw an amazing act, an amazing feat of God's power. They saw that. They witnessed it. And then even as they got into the wilderness, they wanted water, and God provided water. I mean, they saw the blessings of God. But let me help you, and let me draw our minds back to this important point. That if our acquaintance with the Lord is only based on the blessings, then we are in danger of a shallow relationship with Him. The Israelites had saw all of God's blessings, but they were missing one important aspect, which was the fear of God. They needed to have a healthy respect for the Lord. They couldn't just feed on only the blessings because then they would presume on the Lord. They would think he's a genie. They would take him for granted. God wanted something deeper. And so when he says there, you'll not come to this mountain, it just seems dark and it seems scary. Even in fact, he, he says that Moses was, was terrified in verse 21. He says, you, you haven't come to that mountain, speaking to the Christians. You haven't come there. But those believers during that, those Israelites, I should say, during that time, they, they needed to understand the fear of God. See, this, all of this uh, fearfulness and, and all of this right here was meant to help them to have a better acquaintanceship with God. And God wanted them to have something a little bit better in, in Exodus chapter 19. And so God told Moses that, have the people stay away from the mountain. Don't even touch it. I'm going to come down. I'm going to speak to you so that these people may believe you. And he told the people to wash themselves up and put on clean clothes and, and, and be ready to hear the voice of the Lord. And he came down on that mountain with fire. And it was, it was a terrible sight as the scriptures explained to us, but it was never meant to instill in them an unhealthy fear where they couldn't approach. What God was trying to do was trying to do during this time was to instill in them a healthy fear of God, not have them fear to approach God. And we have to remember that. This is why the writer here says, you're not come to that mountain where it was just based on fear and trembling. You're not come to that mountain. That's not the one that you're coming to. They were just completely afraid. They didn't even want to approach God. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, that's what they told Moses. You just listen to the Lord for us. It's too, it's too terrible for us. We don't even want to come near him. That wasn't their purpose of that. It was to instill the fear of God in their hearts so that they would have a right relationship with God, a healthy relationship with the Lord, not a shallow relationship with the Lord. That, that's, sometimes that could be some of the saddest sight, especially when you go out somewhere and it's just beautiful water and so clear and it's hot out and it just feels so good, but you can only go ankle deep. You, you should be out there deeper, diving in that water. I know some of us had experiences in the past and that kind of keeps us away from the water, but trust me, if you could just live vicariously through me, it is a great feeling. But nevertheless, God doesn't want us to be in a place where we're just shallow in our relationship with Him. He wants deepness. Now, I'm not talking about deepness where you know all the verses and things. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is knowing him, knowing his voice. When he says, go here, you go there. When he says, do this, you do that. When he says, talk to this person, you talk to that person. When he blesses you, and the only thing that you care about is just hearing his voice. That's it. You say, take everything else away. Just don't take away my devotions with the Lord. That's, that's what I'm talking That's the deep relationship there. When everything else fades in this world, the only thing that you're left with is the Lord. That's what God wants. He doesn't want the shallowness. This is what happened with the Israelites. That's why he said, you're not come to that mountain. These Hebrew Christians, and even those Gentiles, 
We're not come to that mountain, Mount Sinai, that voice that was all scary. First John chapter 4, it tells us in verse 18 that there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear has torment. He that fears has not made perfect in love. See, it's not about coming to that mountain where we are fearful and I just don't know about the Lord and, you know, God might just extinguish me today because that's, no, God is love and perfect love casts out fear. We're not fearful of standing before the Lord one day. We are fearful that we didn't go all the way in for the Lord while we're here on the earth, but we should be ready to see the Lord, ready to draw near to him. Not fearful of, if I go stand before the Lord, man, I, I just don't even want to see his eyes on me. No, we are not come to that mountain. We have not come to that mountain because it breeds just fear. This is why the Lord Jesus Christ came down to this earth. He came down, God came near so that we can draw near to him and have more of an accurate view of him. That's the reason why. It was not according to law that he came down, but it was according to love. It was not according to law and, and all of the rules and the legality. No, it was because of grace. This is why God drew near. He didn't want us to have this idea of this relationship, of this fearfulness, and God might wipe me out. So he brings the Lord Jesus Christ down to earth, and he comes full of grace and truth. So we could draw near to him, so we could know him more accurately. The voice of Sinai is the voice of fear, fear of approach. <coughs> Discerning his voice is not coming to that mountain where we have a fear of approaching God. Listen, the only time that we normally have a fear of approaching the Lord is when we are doing something that's not right. Just like if we are in this world and we do something illegal, then we have a fear of the cops, right? You're driving super fast. You're looking all in your mirrors and stuff, making sure that there's a fear because you're not doing what's right. But when you are, there's no fear. It's just the love. And you're looking forward to it. This is why we're not come to this, this mountain. Now, there are many Christians that get stuck at this mountain. For some reason, they prefer to dwell at this mountain. The mountain of fear. The mountain of trembling. The mountain of legality. They're not walking in grace. They're limited. They're chained up. And they choose to dwell at this place. Look, dwelling at this mountain. Let me tell you, dwelling at this mountain. What it ensures is that you have an Old Testament mindset and a New Testament church. You're just coming with straight legality in your relationship with God. It's a contract. If you do this, then God will do this. And if I do this, then God's going to do this. And that's not a relationship at all. That's an arrangement. That's an agreement. It's not a relationship. We are not come to this mountain. He's trying to draw those Hebrew Christians out of that Judaism, out of all of that religion. And he's trying to draw us, Gentiles, out of that system of the world and say, look, you're not come to this type of mountain where you are engaging with God and you're trembling all the time. No, you're not. You're not. You're coming to a different place. You're coming to a place of grace. You're coming to a place of truth. So we have to watch out for that voice of Mount Sinai that is trying to draw us back in and get us into a whole legal arrangement with God. Into a fearful arrangement with God where we won't even approach God. We have to steer clear of that. Notice it says in verse 22, but, I like that interjection right there, but, 
because it helps us to look at that mountain that we are not coming to. The mountain that those Israelites were fearful of and that they rejected. I don't want anything to do with the Lord. He says, but you are come to Mount Zion. In the Hebrew, the word is Sion, Mount Sion. And it actually means a sunny mountain. It is a high place, a strong place, a bright place. It is a place that you want to be. It's not a dark place. The darkness and the trembling and burning of fire and the sound of the trumpet and the voice is just loud and it just breathes everything that makes you afraid. No, we are coming to Mount Zion, a bright place. That's where we're come to. The, the voice of, of Mount Zion, it speaks of everything that is new. It speaks of a new way. It speaks of a new fiber, a new man. That's what Mount Zion is all about, is a newness. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. I remember as a Christian, as, we, as I got saved and was a part of this church called New Beginnings Christian Fellowship, they had this banner on the back wall behind the stage. It was a reminder to everybody that came in and became born again. And it was this verse, 2 Corinthians 5.17, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. This is all about newness. That's what Zion is all about. But you are come to Mount Zion. Now, Zion physically in the scripture was the place where David put his city. It was known as the city of David. It was where Jerusalem was. This was Mount Zion. It was a city that was set on a hill. It was the city of God because David was a man of God, a man after God's own heart. And so it was called Zion, this sunny mountain, this hill. He says, this is where we have come to as Christians. This is where we're coming to. This new place. This, this new way. Something fresh. Something different. And this place, Mount Zion, in fact, he tells us the writer here in verses 22 to 24, he tells us eight things that this place offers. Eight things. He says, we have come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Number two. An innumerable company of angels. Number three, to the general assembly. Number four, the church, which are written in heaven. And to, the, and to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. To the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than Abel. This is where we're coming. It's a place that breeds light, life and league, a place where we belong. That's what it is. It's not a place where you're just coming and you're all separate. How is it that Christians become born again and then we become totally isolated from other Christians? We're, we're not part of a fellowship. We're not part of a body. We're not, there's no accountability. When you think of this concept as I explained to you about sheep, you see sheep they flock with one another because they believe that there is safety in numbers. And so they'll hang out with each other. And even if they don't recognize the shepherd's voice, they'll look at the other person to see if that other sheep is going towards the shepherd and they'll go towards the shepherd too. They hang in a, in a flock because of strength. With Christians, we're the, we're the only ones that, that seem to Separate ourselves. Stay isolated. Human beings, we tend to do that. And as Christians, it's even worse. We, we just don't come together enough. But this is what Mount Zion is all about. It's, it's all about a place where we belong. The city of the living God. He says, the heavenly Jerusalem. You, as a Christian, you have come to an innumerable company of angels. You're part of that group now. These angels are in heaven rooting for you. They want to see you do well. Intrigued at you that God would even use a person like you and me. These guys are, this is amazing, Lord. 
But this is what we're a part of now. I know it's hard to understand because we're here on heaven, but we're part of this country. That's why it tells us in Colossians chapter 3 that we are citizens, not of this earth, <coughs> but of heaven. We are citizens of another country. We belong somewhere else. We belong to the general assembly and church of the firstborn. Who's the firstborn? The, the protokos. It's what we read in the book of Colossians, chapter 1. He's the firstborn. He has preeminence, the first place among everybody. That's what it means. We have come and we're part of that. That general assembly in the church, we're part of the body of Christ. I know here in the South they have membership and things like that. And we don't have membership here at Calvary Chapel. <coughs> but we do believe that when you become a Christian, when you are born again, you become a member of the body of Christ. And it is now your responsibility as a member to be part of that body, to find out what piece you are. Are you a pinky toe? Are you a nose? Are you an appendix? What are you in the body of Christ? Find out your purpose because you are a part of the general assembly in church. This is the voice of Zion. This is what we need to discern. You're not meant to be separated in your own man. The Bible says that none of us live, that none of us lives to ourselves and none of us die to ourselves, that we are the Lord's in Romans chapter 14. This tells us that no man can just say, I'm just by myself, you know, I'm a nomad, you know, I just, I just do better by my, no, that's not how it works. We are part of something. We are part of this body. That's what the voice of Zion is telling us. The general assembly and the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, we have come to God, the judge of all. So we don't have to fear that we're going to be mistreated or others are mistreated. We can trust that God will plead our case. We come to the judge of all and to the spirits of just men made perfect. We're part of so many people that have gone before us. We just read in the beginning, chapter 1, that we are surrounded, not chapter 1, but verse 1 of chapter 12, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. There are many people that have gone before us. They're waiting for us in heaven. This is what we're a part of. And notice it says in verse 24, we have also come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. Jesus, the middle ground. He's the one that connects it all together. This is who we have come to. Look, coming to Mount Zion is coming to Jesus. And coming to Jesus is coming to a great message of grace. This is why he says there, into the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than Abel. Now, what was Abel, what, what, were, he, what were he talking about here? Now, this could be two things that the writer is talking about. It could be talking about the sacrifice that Abel gave there in Genesis chapter 4. It says that Abel brought uh, a, a firstling of the, of the flock. That's what he offered to God, and God had respect to his offering. And Cain brought some produce from the ground, and God didn't look at it. It could be a better sprinkling like Abel's sprinkling was the blood of, of animals Christ is the sprinkling of his own blood that makes us pure and clean or it could be speaking of the blood of Abel that was shed when Cain killed him and that blood cried out of, for justice this blood of the Lord Jesus Christ is crying out for grace it's calling us beckoning us telling us to come to me, come to me. So, but we're coming to better things. When we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, there's better things of those things in the past. For the Hebrew Christian reading this, it was better things in the first century than going to the temple and sacrificing that dove or that lamb or that calf. For us, Gentile Christians, there's better things than, than that is, which is in the world. We have come to better things in Mount Zion. This is what the study through Hebrews has been all about. Better things. There are better things for us. We are come to better things. This is the voice of Zion. Being able to discern 
We don't want to be stuck at Mount uh, Sinai where there's just fear and there's torment and we don't have a relationship. But we want to embrace the voice there of Zion because there's so much. You know, the thing that people deal with today more than anything is a desire to be a part of something. Most of the time when people are separating themselves, isolating themselves, is when they don't feel like they are part of something. When they feel that they are excluded, that they don't fit in. This, this is how a lot of depression begins to sort of set in with people because you don't feel like you fit in somewhere. I'm trying to tell you right now, you fit in to the kingdom of God. If you are a Christian, if you are born again, you are part of something much, much bigger than the things here on earth. You do fit in. There's a place where you belong. You belong with the Lord. You belong with the people of the Lord. That's where you belong. Not with the people of the world. So many Christians are trying to just, for the sake of, they, they, they say it's the sake of the gospel. And so they, they go against all integrity and they go against everything in scripture. And they say they're trying to win people to Christ. And so they go out and be part of the world. And they neglect the people of God. And so they begin to look just like the world. That's, that's not what we're part of. We're part of a, a different country. You belong somewhere. Now the last voice that we come to here is the voice of the Son. In verse 25, he says, See that you do not refuse him. Another translation says, See to it that you do not refuse him that speaks. Look, the epistle, this letter, it starts and it ends with the same declaration, with the same admonition that is found in chapter 1. If you go back there to chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, it says in the book of Hebrews, it says, God, who at various times and in various manners spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. The way that the letter starts is the way that the letter ends. See to it that you do not refuse him that speaks. It's, it's drawing us back as Christians to the first priority, which is listening to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the, the first priority of the saint. Listening to the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't miss that. We must pay attention to it. Do you remember in the book of Luke, chapter 9, what was said there? In Luke 9, in verse 35, it tells us that in that chapter, in that, in that record that was uh, written down for us, that Peter was on this mountain where the Lord was transfigured. He was changed. Peter was there, and two of his other guys were there too. They were asleep. Peter woke up. When he woke up, he saw the Lord, Jesus Christ, in dazzling white clothing, so bright that he could barely look. And he was there talking with Moses, who represented the law, and Elijah, who represented the prophets. And, and Peter was so overcome that he was just like, Lord, this is great. Let us make three tabernacles, three tents, three booths, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Like, you guys, we're going to fellowship. We're going to do it. And then it said a cloud overshadowed him. And Peter began, began to become very afraid. And the voice came out of the cloud in Luke 9.35, and it says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Do you see what the father said? Listen to him. This is the same word that we hear in Hebrews 1, verse 1 and 2. God has spoken to us by his son. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25. See to it that you do not refuse him that speaks. Listen to him. This is what it says. Listen to the son. If you're going to discern anything, we need to discern his voice. Now, how does he speak? I mentioned that to you in the beginning, that 
He speaks through his word primarily. Jesus sought to point the disciples and his people that were following him to the word. That's where he pointed them. Now there are some doctrines out here. They're into the rhema word. That's what they say. The rhema word. R-H-E-M-A. And that is the voice of God. You know, the voice of God that can speak now in the present. God can do anything he wants. But the problem with some of that doctrine is that they say, I need the rhema word. Like, I need God to speak something fresh to me right now. And those words that they say that they receive from God are words that contradict the word of God, the lagos. This word of God, this written word. And so they hold this rhema word over this Lagos word, and so this word, these words here, 66 books, they become inconsequential to them. They don't even matter. So you could receive a word from God, and it contradicts the scripture. That's not a right word from God. I'm trying to steer you in the right way. The way that we hear from the Son, the way that we listen to the Son, as we spend time in this book. Because the Lord said in the book of John chapter 5, you search the scriptures thinking that they give you eternal life, but they are the things that point to me. The scriptures are pointing to him. That's what he says. In the book of Luke chapter 24, when they were walking on the road to Emmaus, and he came up to them, and they didn't know it was him, and he was asking them, why are you all sad? And it was like, because we thought Jesus was going to do these things. And it wasn't. Maybe it wasn't. We're not sure. And they were, they were vacillating in their faith. What did he bring them to? Not to some new novel word. No, it didn't say that. In Luke chapter 24, he says, Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and enter into his glory? Verse Luke 24, 27, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He pointed them back to the scriptures. You want to listen to the son, you got to know the word. You want to hear his voice, you have to cons consult and seek the word. Now that doesn't mean that God can't just speak audibly right now. But the word of God is important to him. His word is active, is alive. It pierces the innermost thoughts. It is speaking to us. As a guy once said, the word is alive. It run, the word is alive. It has hands. It it lays hold on me, has feet, it runs after me. It's active. If we want to listen to the Son, you got to spend time in God's Word. If you spend less time in God's Word, you're spending less time listening to what He wants to say to you. Now that's not playing roulette with the Scriptures and you're just flipping and you're like, well, let's see how the Lord wants to speak to me today. Oh, wow. Ahithophel went and hung himself. You know, see, this is why we don't play roulette with the scriptures. We have a regular diet with the word. We start from the beginning of a book and you read to the end of a book. You get the full context of what's being said so you don't springboard and jump into some other idea that's not really in the scriptures. We have to take a methodical approach with the text. We have to understand God is speaking to us through the word of God. And he says there in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25, For they did not escape who refused him that spoke on earth. Much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him that speaks from heaven. If anybody was speaking against Moses, they, they received some harsh judgment. How much more? If anybody resists, well, God has a say in his word. There are many of us Christians that or avoiding spending time with God's Word. Look, refusing, listen to this, refusing to listen to His voice is not an act of disregard. I, I want to tell you that. It's not an act of disregard like, I don't want to hear anything about it. I don't want to 
read that stuff. I don't, that, no, refusing to hear his voice is not just an active disregard. It's a passive rebellion. It's when you, you know you should go there, but you, you choose to do other things. That's refusing to listen to his son. It's, it's a passive rebellion. This tells us that we have to be intentional about listening to the Lord. We got we to gotta get up every morning. We have to grab that Bible. Be intentional about reading the Word of God so you can hear the Lord. This is not a passive thing. Just like that song I say on Sundays, how much I want a revival. And then on Mondays, I can't even find my Bible. Where's the power? The power of, of the cross in my life. Great song. But wh where is it? That's a passive approach to listen. We, we, we got to scrap that and take that away. We need an active approach, an intentional approach. We have a set time to do it. None of us takes a passive approach to eating, do we? I mean, we... Do you, I mean, you know it when it's time to eat. You get that growl, you're like, goodness gracious. Some of us, our blood sugar drops low. You're like, man, I need to eat. I mean, none of us takes a passive like you wake up three days later and say, oh, man, I forgot to eat breakfast the other morning. Wrong. It doesn't work like that. None of us do that. We take an intentional, active approach to feeding this temple. We need to take an intentional, active approach to feeding the inner man, the spiritual Man. He says, whose voice then shook the earth in verse 26 of Hebrews 12. <clears throat> but now he has promised, saying, yet once more, I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. Now, this is coming from the book of Haggai chapter 2. And he's just speaking of end times here. And he says, yet once more signifies this, this phrase, yet once more, signifies the removing of those things that are shaken as the things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. But he tells us here this, since we have received a kingdom that cannot be moved, since we have received such stability in the Lord Jesus Christ, let us approach this whole thing with a measure of grace, gratitude. Let us approach it like that, because this is how we can serve God acceptably and with reverence and godly fear. We, we have to really think about all that God went through so that we could hear his voice, know his voice personally. We, we, look, we don't have to go to a priest anymore. We don't need a person to tell us what God is saying. We can go to the word ourselves. We can pray and say, Lord, please speak to me. And he'll speak to us. Gang, I'll tell you, there's been so many times that, you know, throughout the course of, you know, my Christian life, is that I, I remember praying over certain things and in the course of my regular devotion, God speaking to me loud and clear about my regular things. Like I, and there have been times too where he just, there's a verse that somebody gave me and laid, on, and laid it on my heart. But, but God knows how to speak to us about anything that we need, anything that we need to ask him. The key for us is just to be regular in the scriptures. To spend time here regularly listening to his voice so we don't become like our brothers were on the road to Emmaus old fools and slow of heart to believe we become dull and, and needing the Lord to bring us back through the scriptures again and how they point to him how they explain who he is we got to listen to this and we need to approach this with grace and he says in, in verse 29 for our God is a consuming fire must remember that. There, I know there are many people today, they shake their hands at God. You know, they're like, you know, wait till I get to heaven. I can't wait to say this to him. And, and they're like, you know, you messing up our lives and all these things that people say. And what we don't understand is that when we stand before him, there will be no words like that that could even stand before him. Because our God truly is a consuming fire. But yet he approaches us with such a measure of grace.
such a measure of invite. And so, just like those sheep, they can discern the voice of the shepherd. Just like that little newborn lamb has no idea who the voice of the shepherd is, but he's going to spend time with those that do until he becomes familiar. We need to also discern the voice of the Lord. Discern his voice. Discern the voice of our good shepherd. Recognizing that it's not the voice of Sinai, but it is that voice of Zion. It's the voice of his son. Know his voice. Know when he's speaking to you. Spend time in his word. We would like for you to stay in touch and up to date with us. You can reach us by phone at 301-395-3382. You can follow us on Twitter at cc underscore Valdosta. And you can visit our website at ccvaldosta.weebly.com for additional information about Calvary Chapel Valdosta and an archive of previous sermons to further equip and edify you. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the scripture. And I thank you for Hebrews 12. And the reminder, Lord, that we need to spend time in your word. That we need to get acquainted with your voice. In fact, you tell us in the scriptures in Matthew chapter 11 to take my yoke upon you and learn of me. I pray that you would give us a heart to want to learn, Lord. To know who you are intimately. So we can know what you want us to do on this earth. Thank you for the simplicity that I found in the text. And I just pray that you will continue to move us with this message and that we would, we would ask you to just speak to us more, reveal to us more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.